boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. It just keeps getting better and better in the world of bees, she's. We're already on episode, and I'm not going to say it like Chris does, episode... 22. You wanted to. I tried to you do it differently, to. Chris. Thank you. What a big show we've got coming on. When we started this thing, I had a list of guys I badly wanted to do an interview with. And this guy that we have this week is a guy that I don't know that well. It's not like me getting Eugene or getting yeah. Larry Zabisco or getting, um, you know, Bob Hawley, for instance, guys that I know and like Charlie Haas and, and Gangrel. This is a guy I never worked with, always wanted to work with. I actually, in uh, 2010, I wanted to hire Greg Gagne as a consultant to WFX because I considered him a genius. And I yeah. thought I could learn from the, the road that him and Vern had, had paved running the AWA. So, um, but I couldn't put that deal together. And when I couldn't get that deal, that's why we hired Larry Zabisco. It's a interesting story, but, um, that's so kind th- of an embarrassment of riches. You know, you, you could have had Greg Gagne, you got Larry Zabisco. I mean, that's awesome. Like, yeah. th- having those two guys in the conversation yeah. is incredible. And Larry was amazing, but Greg would have been amazing too. And I'm so happy that we're going to get to have him on the show this week to talk about the Powertown wrestling figures that they've released. Yes. What a set. They've got six. It's, um, it's, um, Luthez. It's, it's Vern Gagne. It's Kerry Von Erich. It's Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Magnum TA. Yep. This is a collector's dream. This is a collector's item. The price point on these is high, but that tells you how valuable they'll they'll hold their value for resale in the future. The quality is n- next to none. I've never seen a figure this good, and it comes it comes almost like a storybook. Yeah, and there is the backstory of the wrestler on the with the packaging. And on top of that, Kerry Von Erich's got the ring jacket. He's yep. got the world class belt that he had held. Um, Fern Gagne's got the AWA belt and a beautiful jacket. Like the accessories are part of what adds to the value. Like yeah, the and figure- Harley's got the NWA belt. Does you mean Luthez? Luthez, yeah. Luthez has the NWA the, the belt. Style. Yeah, yeah. So all together, like I can't wait to get mine. I'm, you pre-order. I haven't pre-ordered mine yet, but I'm going to. They're going to arrive in January. I'm never going to take mine out of the box. Me neither. But no. I am going to probably buy two sets. One for myself, and I want to have something that someone like Dave Cote or someone like um, Scotty Townsend, yep. the people who have supported our show, Curtis House and First Row Collectibles, I want to gift one set to somebody who's been so supportive to the Total Bees She's yes. from episode one to episode 22. So that's probably what I'm going to do with the second set. Now, let me tell you the value on that. That's a pretty good gift I'm going to give to a to a loyal listener. But I, I think, you know what? It seems the right thing to do. So um, yeah, that's, that's powertownwrestling.com. Check it out. You're going to see these figures you're gonna your jaw is gonna hit the floor at how amazing they look i did talk to g's wheeze jeff wallace yeah shane madison he's the wrestling figure aficionado and i asked him and he's he said he wasn't sure he was gonna get them because he's very he's a very big wwe yeah. loyalist and uh but i think once he sees the accessories and the belts i bet you he's gonna rethink and i bet you he might get a, a set as well i bet he will because I, I think 
is it LJN? Is that the figures? I think that's the one he's a big I, fan he's of. He's a big fan of the LJN. Figures. I don't want to talk about the competitor. No. I want to talk about Powertown. But Powertown, yeah. boy, those are like. The guys are actually different height proportionate to yeah. like Bruiser Brody's taller than Kerry Von Erich. And it, and that, there's so many things about the these. details. Yeah. I just can't get, that's the what uniqueness. blows me away. Yeah, so Greg's going to come on. He's going to talk about the uh, Powertown series. I'm going to ask him about the Wrestle Rock Rumble, my favorite video of all time in the wrestling business. I, and I, people think I'm being facetious. I actually really love it. I'm actually going to grade each guy's performance on a Dave Meltzer five-star scale. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to give you a preview. Ken Resnick, five and a half stars, because to dance around like that and deliver it. And I'm friends like friendly with Ken through Facebook. What a, what a guy to do that, yeah. right? And there, um, you know, and there's guys that were so so on that. Like whoever wrote Vern's script added one too many words, and yeah. it just doesn't roll quite right. So I'm going to do a complete breakdown of who was great in that and give him a five star grade. Um, that's going to be next week on the show. I I haven't quite completed it, but I will tell you, Ken Resnick, five point five stars, and still not the star of the video. Oh. Cliffhanger. Yeah. You're not going to tell us who the star is, are you? No, not till next okay. week. Got to save it. Wrestle Rock Rumble the Rap. It's on our YouTube channel, the Total Bees She's. Uh, search Total Bees She's on YouTube. You can see the video for yourself. We played the audio last week. I'm going to ask Greg about that when he's on because I want to know the story behind the Wrestle Rock Rumble rap. Definitely. Um, now let's talk about something else. Are we, are we going to turn to, to mainstream wrestling? Are you reading my mind or did I tell you we were going there? Well, a little bit of both actually, but I don't know what... I don't know where we're going anytime you're in the room. You know what? So. I, I have something to say. People who listen to the show, you guys don't know how how amazing, how talented C- producer Chris actually is. Oh, he's putting me over now. I don't give him a format because if I if I had a format, I'd be trying to remember what I want to talk about. So I tell him five minutes before, let's go here, let's go there, let's go here, let's go there. So poor guy has to follow the leader. And you know what? He, you do really good at that. Yes, I want to talk mainstream. I want to talk AEW. Their new and world champion? John Moxley. He's the only guy they know how to push. Third time, free time AEW champion. Ah! What a terrible choice. Yeah, yeah. like I wanted to ask you, what would be the motivation for that when you have a Brian Danielson? Yeah. Like, who seems to me like he's poised, he's ready to, to carry the ball again. I heard a theory that Brian Danielson isn't the happiest guy in AEW and may actually be making rumblings about wishing he could go back to WWE. Boy, I don't know. I, I mean, have a feeling. I'll tell you a story. I have a feeling that John Moxley's probably the nicest to Tony Khan and Tony Khan's probably got a kinship with him. And he probably thinks of John as kind of the guy. I would have went to Jericho personally, but. No, I wouldn't have gone to Jericho. I would have gone to Jericho. Not over. I think, I think Moxley, if it's between Moxley and Jericho, I think Moxley's the right answer. You're out of your mind. No. Uh, do, do you one of us the, is an the, expert here and one of us the, is not. The pro, I am the, the expert. The promo he delivered the other week. Doesn't matter. It lights out. That, yeah. That shows he's a guy who's ready to carry the ball. The again. problem. Okay. This is going to be a debate. And we can't Chris go. Jericho's done nothing but license himself as a new name each week. Stop. First, he, oh, I'm the wizard this week. I'm the this this week. Mm-hmm. It's all he's, he's also had the most big money matches in the company. Every angle he's had, he's elevated the person he's worked with yep. and himself in the process. The reason why I would go to Chris Jericho as the champion, if I could have booked it, I would have went to Jericho ahead of Danielson, and I would have went to Jericho ahead of... Um, ahead of Danielson too? Ahead of Danielson wow. and ahead okay. of Moxley. Moxley. The reason is because you can hit a race and go back to when the company was fresh and really, really 
intriguing and hot. And you would have guys like Omega and you'd have guys like Danielson. You'd have guys, you could build a chase on Jericho as the heel and have a swarmy heel as your champion and all those good guys underneath chasing him. And you could create some money on that. If you go to Moxley, we've seen it three times. It's like going to, it's like going to hangman page. It didn't work. It won't work. It hasn't worked. Omega, obviously, because he's got the bite mark on his arm because it was a shoot, apparently. Omega... We need to talk about that at some point. You can't go to Omega right now because of the current controversy. You can't go to Punk right now because the word is he's going to be released and I'm going to look like a fool because it might be a shoot. I don't think so. Um, But you go to Jericho as a heel who can carry the company and you build the baby face to run with him. It's right now, September. You go to Jericho until WrestleMania season. You have somebody chase him until about March or April and you have Jericho lose the belt to the next hot baby face. I think that's what they're kind of doing in reverse with MGF. Now they'll have MGF but, agitate uh, uh, Moxley yeah. for a few months. It doesn't it's not ma- going to draw money. No. Well, I just told you how to draw money. You, I think you M- go to a guy you trust. I think trust. MGF is good at drawing money. Yes, but it won't. Then go to MJF as the champion and have the baby faces chase him. Jericho as a vulnerable heel can draw you money in money ma- in matches between now and March when he finally loses it to the baby face. You get red hot. They did it wrong. I'm telling you. You can say Mockley, just like you said Luther, <laughs> just like you say it's a shoot, but you're wrong. Yes. There you go. So that's bad booking, Tony Khan, and also bad booking, Claudio losing the belt to Jericho. Yeah. He should have lost the belt to Danielson because you could have potentially built a Danielson versus Omega title for title, Ring of Honor title versus versus AEW right. title. There's money, ma- but this is not a booker who's sitting there going, what money matches do I want to build to and what do I want to take six months to build to and how am I going to put the building blocks in place? Yeah, he's very immediate. Tony Khan doesn't get it. He he just doesn't. And I saw a tweet where he said, like he's really wanting the fans to love him as the booker. There is nobody in WWE who's trying to be, Vince McMahon during his entire tenure as the head of creative at WWE and he was essentially the czar of creative, never said, hey fans, I've got it figured out. He didn't ever want to be known as the guy who was pulling those strings, even when he was pulling those strings. And now Triple H is that because of the corporate structure. You don't see Triple H tweeting out, hey, I've got it figured out for this Friday on SmackDown. No, Tony Khan, egomaniac, should never put himself on TV and should stop writing TV right now. He won't. He won't. He won't hire someone good to do it because Tony Khan is a fool. A fool and an egomaniac. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on. Or do you have something else you want to press me on about AEW? I do. How, How do you feel about the signing of Soraya? i.e. page i thought it was a big pop i also wonder is it going to be something that is a diminishing return because wwe wouldn't clear her so how how much does she have in the tank can she contribute physically it's like when they she had a bad neck she had a really bad neck problem so can she contribute okay do you remember when they signed matt hardy yes do you remember when they signed christian cage yes do you remember when they signed mark henry Yes. Do you you know where I'm going? Do yeah. you remember when they signed the big show? Yeah. It all amounted to a big pile of nothing. Is that what's going to happen? Add her here? to the list. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. It's Tony Khan. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have enough TV to carry the roster size he carries. And then he buys Ring of Honor and he tries to fit some of that into his. He's only got two hours of TV time and one hour on Friday. You gotta you gotta cut it and figure out who to push differently. But they don't, he doesn't get it. It reminds me a little bit of, I believe, Bubba Ray Dudley talking about 
or maybe it was Tommy Dreamer talking about how Paul Hyman needed a surprise every show. And he's like, I need a surprise. I need a surprise. We have a surprise every show. If you have a surprise every show, it is no longer a surprise. I heard Jim Cornette say that once about it's not a surprise if people know what's coming. Yeah, and I, I, I heard that about Paul Heyman, how he was freaking out one day. We don't have a surprise. We don't have a surprise. We have to have a surprise every show. Yeah, it's not a surprise if you have to. Yeah, the problem is they've got two hours of TV. Adding nothing they add is going to make it better. What would make it better is slow building to yes. big money matches. You have pay-per-views every three months. It should be easier to get your money matches over, but you have to have, see as a super fan billionaire, he doesn't have the actual instinctive mindset of slow this down, build this guy and this guy at the exact same time on two different paths so that when you bring them together, there's money. They, he doesn't get it. And he, he never will. And it's proven. John Moxley, champion, another thumbs down. Tony Khan, you just don't get it. Okay, now I'm going to move on as I just channeled my inner Omar Nicholas from episode <laughs> one. Okay, okay. okay. Um, let's talk about 3D Pro Wrestling. A yes. bad day in the local wrestling scene when 3D Pro Wrestling announced in the last week that they were refunding tickets and canceling shows, and they're done. And um, I wasn't... If you listen back to the last 10 episodes or so, I, you could tell I wasn't a big 3D fan. Um, let me rephrase that. I, they, hadn't, they hadn't got my curiosity. That hooked you. No, exactly, like WPW does or CWE does. And the problem I'll say, and I hope the promoter doesn't take this as an attack because it wasn't. He was working hard and he deserved a shot to try to build yeah. something. But... He went to $20 ticket price, $25 ticket price. He was using a lot. It was like a, to me, an evolution of maybe a PCW roster with what he was using. And that's okay. Like there was nothing wrong with his roster. But I think the problem he was having was he, he was having, he, they were drawing 200 people at $20 a pop. So he should have been draw, generating enough funds that he was breaking even. A lot of times when you come in and you're going to be a promoter, and this is one of the reasons why I have no aspirations to promote, and I underlined, I underline no aspirations to promote, is because the amount of stress and the amount of, like, listen, wrestlers love to haggle. And I love the wrestlers. I came from this world. But they love to call and say, what do you got for me on a show three weeks from now? Okay, um... What about the, and they, they want to have a discussion. They want to negotiate something. They sometimes it's a payoff. Sometimes it's something they want to do some, a match they want to work. And it's like, it's tedious. A promoter already has a hard job of generating the interest and selling the tickets. And I think what was happening was he was getting just, it was grinding, dealing with wrestlers. Hey, could you get me new photos? Could you get Adam? I'm not going to go Adam Knight, but f- wrestlers for some reason are allergic to professional photographers. Yes. They think, well, I've got a camera on my phone. I can just shoot my own picture with a mirror. <laughs> it's not selfie pro wrestling. Okay. Wrestling promoters need great pictures taken by good photographers so that they can create posters and graphics that make the wrestlers look like they're worth $25. Yes. If wrestlers are not willing to invest in better photography, the promoter's job becomes harder. How am I supposed to get $25 for a guy that doesn't get professional photography, right? That would be something that would probably grind a promoter to no end. It would Mm -hmm. grind me to no end. So 
I think what ended up happening, and I don't know, I reached out to the guy and he never, ever wanted to talk to me. I reached out to him a couple of times and he never, ever wanted me to, so I'm not going to say nice things about somebody who I would have said something nice if he explained what his, his vision was or anything like that. Never, ever wanted to respond. So good luck. I don't even know your name, promoter 3D Wrestling. It was fun while it lasted. I wish you'd stuck with it because I think that there was a buzz about your shows. For whatever reason, you're done. If you have any laundry you want to air, uh, anonymous man, you can contact us, totalbshees at gmail.com. We'd be happy to have you on. And let me go back and reinforce this point. Scott Carnegie is a professional photographer. He, w- he loves the local wrestling scene and is friends with a lot of the guys. Adam Knight, if you see the poster- posters with him on it, he's got this weird look on his face with his eyes, and I'm trying to imitate it for Chris to get a pop, and his eyes are half squinted and he's got a weird look on his face. A photographer would say, okay, thank you for that pose. Now let's do this pose. Hey, just, just look natural for a second. He'd take 35 pictures. He would get at least one that would be a four out of 10. I know the exact uh, pose you're talking about. He's got about. this weird shirt I'm, on. I'm looking at a, a poster right behind you. It's not that one. With it's him. not the one. Oh, it's, but it's, that's a bad picture too. Yeah, he's, he's doing he's the, not he's squinting. Photogenic. He's doing duck lips. Yes, he's not photogenic and he doesn't, and when you're not photogenic, pay a professional because you might, they might be able to do something. They could. Do you, could you imagine a TV station? They're, they're going to run their news anchor and their sports anchor and their weather person and they want to sell this big bill billboard of this is our this is our six o'clock news team hey guys could you go shoot a selfie for me so that we can sell you yeah, yeah that would never happen and that's the mindset of wrestling that, where we we absolutely trip on ourselves with trying to cut corners professional photography professional graphic design i haven't said it in about five episodes so i have to come back to it 3d you were doing a good job i wish you'd stuck with it don't take it personally what i've said today and you know what? Hopefully someone else will start up and, and fill the void. Tony Candelo, 80 years old. He's, he's going, he's ready yeah. to, he's ready to make a go full time. I'm, I'm really pleased that the Adam down, Adam Knight takedown section of the podcast was short this week. I wasn't planning to take him down, <laughs> but he's the best example of a guy who needs a professional photographer. He needs an image consultant. He needs a gimmick consultant. Hey, Hey, Adam Knight, I'll be your gimmick consultant. You're not a cowboy for the, I say it every, I'm going to start saying it every week. Okay. So I don't think, I mean, 3D, I didn't get a chance to see their shows. I got, I got to see some of their videos online and stuff like that. It looked good. I don't know if there'll be a much of a vacuum with them gone because there are a lot of people running right now. We've got WPW, we've got CWE, and we've got Primos running as well, putting on some really- It's Winnipeg. We have room for three or four more- um, out, outlaw shows. Well, yeah, we got to have the outlaw shows that don't draw anything and then pay you from the canteen. Or I don't know. I also heard that that 3D guy might've been paying too much money to some talent, but uh, we're not going to go. That's there. a rumor. So, all right, let's go to break. I, I'm ready to, I want to get Greg on as soon as possible. I already talked too long. Greg's standing by. He's been patiently waiting, listening in queue. So let's go to Greg Ganya as soon as possible, please. This episode of the Total Bees Sheets Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Sheets Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESSHEES. Again, the code is B E E Z. 
S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. Hey, this is Mr. Beefy Goodness Vance Nevada, the author of Uncontrolled Chaos, Canada's remarkable professional wrestling legacy. You may have heard me on episode 17, and you're listening to the Total Bees She's Show. It is such an honor, a, a pleasure, a privilege for us to welcome Mr. Greg Gagne to the Total Bees She's Show. Greg, thank you so much for doing this today. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Winnipeg uh, was a great wrestling town for my partner and I and, and myself individually, too. It was just a great wrestling fans up there, a great city. And anytime I can do anything and talk to the people of Winnipeg and Canada, I'm here for you. I appreciate that. So you're part of this brand new uh, wrestling figure line called Power Town Wrestling. It's amazing, the wrestlers you've got. How did, it, how did you select the wrestlers you chose for the first series? Well, Steve Rosenthal, who did our Remco action figures back in the 80s. Uh, Steve had first uh, contacted Vince McMahon, and Vince uh, kind of jerked him around a little bit about three different times, cost him a lot of money. And uh, his son was a fan of wrestling, and he said, Dad, you know, you do Remco's, the toys, why don't you do wrestlers? And so after Vince kind of hit him, <laughs> hit him pretty hard here, he came to Vern, and uh, we did the action figures with him. And they ran it for eight years. It was the first wrestling figures out on the market. And it was one of the biggest sellers that Remco ever had. So a few months ago, more than that, a little over a year ago now, Steve called me. And he said, hey, how would you like to get back in the action figure business? I said, are you kidding me? How? With what? And he said, well, I'd like to do, you know, I'd like to do some of the wrestlers. He said, I'd like to do, you know, maybe six or 12. And I said, well, Steve, here's, here's how I'd get involved. And here's the philosophy and the thinking behind it. If we're going to do that, let's do people that have never been done. Let's, let's go to the pioneers, the icons, the legends that built this sport. And that would be from 1950 when, when wrestling went on network TV out of Chicago, the Dumont Network. And it ran from 1950 to 57. It got so popular, they were running it every night of the week, and they kind of burned it out. But the guys like Luthez, Vern Gagne, Edward Carpentier, Antonio Rocca, Harbold Haggerty, Killer Kowalski, Yukon Eric, Don Leo Jonathan, Angelo Poffel, The Crusher, The Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, those are the people that really built the foundation for TV wrestling and eventually into the arenas. So he said, geez, I've never thought of that that way. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, we'll have to tell the story with it. And, you know, make people aware of this and, uh, let's get some of the people that never had an opportunity to do action figures today. We have over 200 contracts in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and we had our, our six figures, first six figures went out last week, wow. last Friday, and it was for pre-sales that we delivered in January. The first two, we took two men from the fifties. We took Luthez and Vern. Yep. Perfect choices, and by then, the way. Well, thank you. I thought so too. And then uh, I got a little little mixed up in there, and I said, you know what? How about Stan Hansen and King Kong Brody and Magnum TA and Kerry Von Erich? So we have the different eras highlighted there, 
and we'll get people from all the different different genera or the different uh, eras, the fifties, the sixties, seventies, eighties. And uh, man, we kind of hit a home run with it the way it looks. Oh, those figures are so high quality. Like I was looking at the Kerry Von Erich and the Bruiser Brody one, and like their faces look identical to what they looked in their prime. This is a a collector's item that that people are going to drool about. Oh, they are. I mean, they already are. We had we had record sales the first first three days. It slowed down a little bit now, but it's starting to pick up again. Yeah. Um, and it's worldwide. I mean, we're getting we're getting orders from Vietnam. Wow. From uh, from Japan, quite a few, England, Australia, New Zealand. So, you know, we, we feel like we hit the pretty good market here with it. And with those six individuals, they all meant a lot to wrestling. In fact, they had uh, Holly Von Erich, uh, carries one of his daughters, his oldest daughter, did an interview the other night, and you should get her on sometime. She talked about her dad's eyes. Mm-hmm. She said when she looked at that figure and saw those eyes, just the way he used to look at her when she was a kid, she started crying. Wow! And they had her. We had her, we had her do a couple podcasts, and she actually is. You should people get tears in their eyes listening to her talk about it. Yeah, but that's how unique these these individuals have become, and how the the uh, we have two gentlemen from the McFarland Group. McFarland was the largest action figure company in the world, and their two top guys are working for us, and they're the ones that come up and develop these for us. And they've done an outstanding job. If you look at the, the faces, I mean, even on Vern, they've got the cauliflower ears. They have, you've never seen him with the, the ring jacket from 1950. He's got the, uh, um, which eventually became the world championship belt, was the police gazette belt on that he was awarded in 1950, 52. And uh, Lou Fez with the, the long robe, TA, we talked Magnum TA. He said, you know, they got the jacket, they got the boots. He, he said the hair, everything. He said it's the best figure I've ever had. Yeah, and and uh, he's he's one of my partners in this. Also, I brought uh, Magnum TA in. I yeah. needed somebody else from wrestling to kick kick things around. So the two of us put all this stuff together. The the figures. I mean, the how they should go. Steve gives us the theme, and then we kick around, and he throws some names in. We throw some names in, and we end up coming up with the with the collection. Did you, did you order yours yet? I didn't did order, order mine yet, yet, but I will be ordering them <laughs> well, probably Friday. Well, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Cut the interview off. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, so every guy has a belt with them that they held during their career, and the detail on the belt is Correct. exactly like the figure itself. Like uh, in the case of Magnum TA, they, they have the Jim Crockett U.S. title belt. And Vern has the AWA, what eventually became the world title. Thez has the NWA title. Um, That that adds so much value to each figure because now belt collectors get excited about it too, right? Right. And then uh, uh, Brody's boots Mm -hmm. is is best. Uh, Stan Hansen with the lariat and you know, in the shafts. I mean, these guys. You know, they've they've done an excellent, excellent job. And if, if people want to pre-order, they can go on to powertownwrestling.com. And there's even a code on there, and you can get that code and get yourself a 10% discount. Not bad. They send them in bundles of threes, bundles of six, and individuals. Now, it was interesting. TA came, came up with the name. We were kicking it around, you know. Let's do, uh, you know, bundles of three. And uh, so I said, well, let's see. Why don't we do Vern, Brody, and Hanson together, and then do uh, Luthez, Magnum, TA, and Kerry Von Erich? Geez, that sounds good. And I said, well, you got three guys from the AWA and three guys from the NWA. 
And then TA came up with the, the Vern box with Tanson and Brody is called the Association, mm-hmm. the American Wrestling Association. And the other one is called the Alliance, the NWA. So it really worked out good, and the collectors going crazy over it. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I'm surprised you don't have yours yet. <laughs> I promise you, Greg. I am. I'm not only going to get one set. I'm actually getting two, so that we can give a listener a whole set. I'm actually ordering them right now as we talk. <laughs> Amazing. Sure, you better be. <laughs> I can still throw some drop kicks, but I don't know how high they are. <laughs> so switching, probably not too high. So switching gears a little bit. I have, uh-huh. I have, I grew up an AWA fan. My first show ever uh, attending was at the Winnipeg Arena in like '82 or '83. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the glory days. Well, the '80s of of the AWA of the eighties and everyone always says that Hogan and Gene Okerlund leaving was the beginning of the end for the AWA. But I would contend that that's crap because the road Mm -hmm. warriors in 84 and 85 were drawing some really incredible crowds against the fabulous ones. And Martel Mm -hmm. in Winnipeg was a big deal. Um, I think, I think you would be able to tell me that Hulk Hogan leaving the AWA isn't, isn't the demise of the AWA, right? It wasn't the demise of it, but it hurt quite a bit because we had put uh, all our eggs into Hogan's basket. And he was the first one in professional wrestling. Now, this goes back before the 50s. A handshake was your contract. Everybody lived by it in professional wrestling. Hogan was the first one to break it. Wow. And and that what, what hurt so much, we could have probably survived, but Hogan didn't realize we had, uh, we had to sign a, a little... Uh, a non-disclosure. Uh, there we go. Non-disclosure. A few turnbuckles over the years and a few <laughs> chairs up there in Winnipeg. I forget where I'm going. But um, prior to Hogan leaving, he had we had had a bat. We had battle the Battle Royal run in October all the time. And then Hogan had won in Minneapolis, or, or I think it was Minneapolis. Then he had a match with with Bachwinkle, but but didn't win that one. We finished up the Battle Royals in Phoenix. Was our last one. And then Hogan was going to Japan, and when he came, when he so we cut all his interviews before he left. We had Christmas week is a big week for us. Uh, everything was sold out. All the major cities: Chicago, Milwaukee, uh, San Francisco. Uh, I think I, I think we did Winnipeg too on that Thursday before Christmas or after Christmas. They were all sold out. Hogan was in the main events with Jim and I in six man tag team matches, and we get the first one was in St. Paul, and Hogan doesn't show up. And Vernon got a telegram about three days before from Florida, from Tampa, Florida, where his buddy Eddie Graham lived. And him and Eddie used to pull jokes on each other all the time. And so the, the, the telegram read, hey, uh, I'm not coming back. I'm finished. The Hulk. <laughs> so Vern looked at Tampa Florida and says, oh, that, that's Eddie because Hogan was living in Minneapolis at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, that Eddie, you know, what a deal. So we get to St. Paul, he doesn't show up. So I called him at home and I said, Hulkster, what, what's going on? You miss St. Paul. We got all these big ones. He said, well, I'm not going to make any of them. I said, well, why would you do that? He said, well, McMahon, I signed a deal with him and he's paying me more not to make them. And uh, I said, well, that isn't how you do business. You know, fulfill, fulfill this Christmas week and then you can leave. But uh, he didn't show up for Christmas week. And we had signed a deal with CBS Network that in April we were going to have a one time, and if it did well, we they had a monthly deal with CBS where we'd go on Saturday nights 
two-hour special, and the match they wanted was Hogan and Bachwinkle at the end of April. And we never got to that because he left. And then shortly after that, they grabbed our announcer, Gene Okerlund. Yeah. And then, you know, then they just picked out the top talent uh, along the way. They hit us the hardest because we had the biggest market, biggest TV market in in the country. We ran from Winnipeg across Canada on TSN and then all the way down to St. Louis to the West Coast. And, um, you know, we had the top talent because we only wrestled about 270 t- days out of the year. Most of the other t- areas were, you know, 360 with uh, double shots on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, we had the best talent were here. They were paid the best. And uh, we had the fruit all month of May and the first two weeks of June off. So, you know, people always ask me, well, why would you take that time off? Well, in, in the northern part of the states and in Winnipeg, when that weather changes, yeah. it gets nice. They all go to their cabins or their lake places. Yeah, they don't and want to be indoors. A, a, no, we had a we had a match. Hogan had a match in April, and we uh, he was uh, there was two main events, and he was one of them. We sold out the St. Paul Civic Center with nineteen thousand people, and we had seven or eight thousand. And then building next door, we closed circuited over there. So Hogan says, man, I am so hot. Vern, you got to run. You got to run. You got to have a match in, in, in May. And put me in with this guy. We ran in May. So we did a, uh, I think the gate was 286,000 in April. And in May, it was 30,000. Oh, <laughs> that's dark. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hogan learned a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so 83, Hogan leaves at the end of it, I guess, and it goes to Vince. But yep. you come, the Road Warriors come in in 84. How big were they for business mm-hmm. for AWA? Well, they were they were big. I mean, you know, they're a dynamic, uh, a dan- a dynamic team. Uh, we had a, in fact, we had a couple matches with them up in Winnipeg, and one of them was a cage match. And, uh, you know, our philosophy was we'd let them, We'd stay close to the ropes, and they came out, balls out all the time, swinging and kicking. And if you stayed close enough to the ropes, um, they were so muscled up that they, what we call in the industry, blowing up. They get tight, and they couldn't, they, they could barely hold on to you after 10 minutes. We'd just let them, we'd stay close to the ropes, try to block the punches and the kicks, and then we'd start to wrestle them. We'd take them down. And I know that big animal one night, I put, uh, it was in the cage match. I put the Indian death lock on him and his legs were so big. I didn't have to put hardly any pressure on. I could snap him. <laughs> and he's yelling at me. I'm going to kill you when I get out of here. And I said, well, you're not getting out of here. And he sat up and I slapped him as hard as he could. <laughs> I slapped him twice. <laughs> you were stretching him like a greenhorn. Yeah. yeah. Like we're supposed to. Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Um, 1986, the best video I've ever seen in wrestling is the wrestle rock rumble. Ken Resnick. Oh, God. No, not oh, God. I'm 100% serious about this. How, did, uh, were you the guy that came up with that? And how, like, getting the buy-in from the talent, like. Well, we called it the Wrestle Rock because yeah. we were going to bring in, you know, we were going up against McMahon, so we had to do something else. So, you know, in Minnesota, Country Western was big. Yeah. And we, well, we first tried for Bob Seeger, but Seeger wanted uh, way too much money. Yeah. And we went through a couple other ones, and we ended up with Waylon Jennings. Yeah. And we called it, well, Russell, we called it Russell Rock, but then we ended up with the country guy. Yeah. Uh, we thought we were going to get Seeger. And then the company here, a uh, PR company, came up with the deal. They wanted us to do this rapping. And I couldn't rap with a crap, but they gave me some lines to do, and I tried to do them, but did them the best I could. 
we had the Midnight Rockers, I think, on there, and uh, I forget who else was doing the the ones, but uh, I think Zabisco did one. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it turned out we did we did okay in it. We didn't set any records or break any attendance records, that's for sure. But uh, after you know paying off Waylon Jennings and all the other people, there wasn't much left. So the stadium show yeah, drew quite a, well, it was, though. It was an interesting. It it had wasn't it over twenty thousand attendants? Oh yeah, we had about twenty eight thousand people yeah. in it. And but you know, what you, if you paid Waylon Jennings, we had to pay him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and we had too many matches on there; they went too long. And by the time we got the Waylon, only there wasn't much of a crowd left to hear him. <laughs> and then he <laughs> he walked off with most of the money. Uh, so, is, isn't that amazing? You know, they were there for the wrestling. Yeah, the rap yeah. the rap video itself was actually amazing. Like you on there, you say you're building up your match with Brody, and then Nick Bockwinkle's hits a home run in his in his uh, part of the video. Zabisco was good. Uh-huh. Ken Resnick, amazing the way he was mm-hmm. dancing around. I think like that video ages extremely well, and I could see why they wanted to do it because you were up against rock and wrestling WWF. I think it I think it was highly yep. effective. So kudos to you on that. Um, in 87, well, you. in 87, you're the guy that puts Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels together as the Midnight Rockers, I've heard. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Jannetty had sent up a tape. He was down in Kansas City, and Shawn Michaels had sent one up from uh, San Antonio. And they were young, and I said, you know, if we put these two guys together, we've got a nice young tag team here that might start bringing some of the girls back in. And um, they came up, we put them together. Uh, they were very successful. Very hard to handle. <laughs> you know, they were they were still kids. They hadn't matured into uh, Sean. What he did later was phenomenal. But even you know, McMahon had problems with him. They were a couple of little renegades, but they could they could really go in the ring. And they had some fantastic matches with uh, Buddy Rose and uh, Doug Summers. You know, once they got really established, of course, then McMahon came and yanked them right out from under us. Yeah. I think that was the, the whole trend for you between 84 and 87. There's good talent that you guys had. Martell is the heavyweight champion. And then they, and they go mm-hmm. Kurt, Kurt Henning in 87 was probably the yep. best world champion in, in all three companies. It's amazing. In 87, if you could have kept the Midnight Rockers and Kurt Henning and built around them longer, could you have turned it around, do you think? No. They, McMahon had hurt us so bad. What he was doing, he... He needed our markets. We had a, we had a match coming up in, in the Cow Palace in San Francisco. And uh, we had taken us two years to build that market up because it was so big. And the station we were on, we didn't have a great time slot, but it got better because the ratings kept going up. And we finally had the building sold out. And we were in a meeting with Bill Watts and Jim Crockett and Jerry Jarrett, some other promoters that were starting this new USA Wrestling. And we get a call. We were down in St. Louis. We get a call and uh, for Vern, and he asked me to go take it. And I went and took it. And I said, I came back. He said, who was I? I said, it was the uh, station director out in, um, in San Francisco. Now, we had built up. We had six weeks before this big match. And we had all the, all the, all the tapes and all the interviews out there in San Francisco. And he, he said, well, what did he see? He said, well, McMahon just called him. We had bartered the time all the time on TV. He kept some commercial time and, you know, just bartered the time. McMahon offered him $2,000 a week to put in their TV show in our spot. And Vern said, oh, he says, 
call him back, tell him we'll get him 2,500. So we went to 2,500. We knew we were, we were going to have a big crowd, so, you know, we could do it. Yeah. And uh, a guy said, okay, great, that's fantastic. Calls back a half hour. He said, uh, McMahon's at three grand. And so I went back. Jesus, McMahon's at three grand. He says, tell him 3,500. And, but, you know, make it clear to him that, you know, before you get, give him that, just say, okay, here, I'm going to give you one more number. And when I give it to you, I got an agreement with you that you're going to lock it in for us. Yes, for sure. So went to 3,500. He said, deal. So we didn't think anything else of it. And uh, all of a sudden, after we're going to go into the Cow Palace, we found out we hadn't even been on TV. McMahon showed us in there. McMahon offered him $5,000 an hour. And the guy took it and took us off. Never even played our tapes. Played all McMahon stuff. And McMahon was stealing so much of our talent. You know, he'd go into our cities. He'd look more like the AWA than we did. Yeah. It was absolutely brutal business practices, what he did to get the upper hand. Oh, it was horrible. Same thing happened yeah, in Winnipeg. it same, was horrible. Same thing happened in Winnipeg. One week it was AWA, and then all of a sudden, six o'clock on Saturday night, it's WWF. And I was still Correct. I was still pulling for the AWA because it was what I'd been brought up on. I was I was a Hulkamaniac, right. but like that deal yeah. there, was that Jack Lanza just jumped ship and took TV with him? Is that how that went? Well, Jack Lanza and Wally Carver went behind our backs. Cut a deal with the station manager was a good friend of mine. Had to cut a deal with them. Yeah, they told him some lie, uh, uh, and they got mad. And uh, all of a sudden, we were out. We didn't even know it. That was that was the trick yeah, that they were was, doing in every market. They were doing it in every market. Yeah, yeah. But they hit us the hardest. They wanted. They had to get us first because we had the big markets, the big TV markets. He needed, you know, Chicago, San Francisco, Denver, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. St. Louis, you know, he just he just hit us really hard. Winnipeg for the Canadian DLM. We had TSN, you know, they used to tape all our matches in Winnipeg, and then they would play them the next week across Canada. Yeah, and uh, he got on. He took that too. So there we were. Yeah, uh, switching speeds here. You and Jim Brunzel, the High Flyers, yep. definitely belong in the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you very much. It's without question. Well, we like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the what was the number one feud for the High Flyers? Was it East-West Connection or was it maybe Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson? That, that's the one for me, Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson. But I'll, I'll let you answer. I got excited there. Okay. No, I don't blame you. I mean, uh, I don't think there was a team we wrestled that we did really great matches with. Yeah. For some reason, we hated wrestling Jesse and Adrian. Adrian was phenomenal in the ring. Jesse was not. <laughs> Jesse could talk to people into the seats, but he wasn't real good in the ring. And, and Adrian really carried that team. But honest to God, the, we must have wrestled them. It seemed like every night we had to wrestle them. And you just can't keep going with a team like that and not eventually get beat. But promoters all over the country wanted that match. But as far as in the ring, we had phenomenal matches with Bachwinkle and Stevens, and then with Stevens and Patterson. Mm -hmm. And I mean, anybody that would watch those matches, if they didn't get into it, they had a problem. We, we were in Denver one night, and this was called a, what they called a cold match. They didn't have a real strong main event. And we, Jim and I were really kind of like Winnipeg. Winnipeg and Denver were really good towns for us, good cities. And they had, we were the tag team champions, and Pat Patterson had been out for a while. 
and they put him and Ray Stevens against Jim and I, and of course they had Bobby Heenan as their manager, in a title match in Denver. And we sold the building out. And now Pat had been gone for uh, maybe three, four, five months and came back in and it was a, it was a round building. You know, Winnipeg was big and open. This was a kind of a round building and it seated about 16,000 people. And when we came out, the building would just almost vibrate. It was just a woof, and your adrenaline, God, would go, you know, we could jump higher and, and, and I'd played football at Wyoming and we always got a lot of extra publicity. I think that helped. And I was used to it was 7,500 feet up there altitude. It was 6,200 in Denver. Mm-hmm. So I'd usually start the matches and get a good pace going. And the other guys would all of a sudden at altitude would hit. Bobby Duncan was good for about 10 minutes. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> we're wrestling uh, Stevens and Patterson and they had a top wrist lock on us. And we'd fight out of it and we'd do some big thing and come out on top and they'd either pull our hair or our tights or they'd distract the referee and he wouldn't see what happened. And there was never a punch or a kick thrown in the match. And in eight minutes, we had a full-fledged riot, people trying to get in the ring and help us. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That was, that, be, that was because they were so good and timing was so good and the mixture between them and us, it just, uh, it really, really clicked. Uh, another Jerry Blackwell, we had phenomenal matches with Jerry Blackwell and Ken Patura. Yeah. Yeah. We had great matches with them and Blackwell for his size. He was unbelievable in the ring. I mean, he, he was, he was something else. And do you think the magic it, of the magic of that was the big heels beating up on the smaller baby faces to get the right sympathy, right? Um, I guess I get, well, I think Jerry just irritated people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, he, he was from the South. He had that whiny, whiny voice and he was looked out of shape and it looked like anybody could kick his ass. I know the first time I wrestled, we were in Rockford, Illinois, and it was in the summer and it was in a gymnasium and it had 4,000 people in it. And they had those fluorescent, fluorescent lights you know, the gym lights in there mm-hmm. and it was probably 98 degrees oh. and I got black first time I'm wrestling Blackwell alone. And I, I looked at Jim and a couple of other guys in the locker room. I think Kurt Henning was there and I said, I'll give him 15 minutes and I'll have him. He won't be able to breathe. <laughs> I came out of the ring 45 minutes later and I hardly made it out of the ring. Wow. So he I had just, just as good as stamina. Lit, oh, it, it went the other way. It, well, he, he'd lay that weight on you. Yeah. And he'd slow you down. He'd take your he would take your momentum away from you. And geez, then you had to fight from to get out from under him. And holy Christ, I was I was gasped. Wow, <laughs> they were all laughing at me. And to speak yeah. to how good Blackwell was when when AWA turned him babyface in eighty six or eighty five, it was huge for business, was it not? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was that was he big. Was, uh, he, he was a great guy. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of people that we we loved. I remember. One guy had a single match, though, and I know everybody loved him in Winnipeg, Maurice Mandog Bushong. <laughs> Absolutely. One of my first heroes. Oh, my God. So the first time I'm going to wrestle in a single match, we're in Minneapolis. And I said to my dad, I see my dad come home, you know, cuts and scratches and bite marks on him. And I said, uh, hey, Dad, what do I do with this guy? And he said, here's the secret. Hit him twice as hard as he hits you. 
I said, then what? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Get how nice. how yeah. was it? Uh, so Vashon was obviously a tough guy to wrestle. What about Bruiser Brody or King Hong Brody? Like you had the program with him in 86. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I, yeah, he was, uh, we had first wrestled, first time I ever wrestled him. Uh, Jim and I had won the tag team titles and we'd been on the road for two weeks. And our last match was Salt Lake City before we had to go to Japan for a two-week tournament. And we're wrestling Blackwell and Patera in a cage match in Salt Lake. And, and Blackwell threw me over the top rope into the cage. And my foot caught the top rope and my knee twisted. Jeez, it burned like a son of a gun. <laughs> but, you know, you just keep, you keep wrestling. So I wake up in the morning. We had to fly to L.A. And I get to the Salt Lake airport. And my knee is all swollen up. Get on the plane and ask the flight attendants for some ice. They iced it. We get to L.A. We got about an hour and a half layover. My knee is just killing me. Get on the plane. Again, we ice it. Uh, flight attendants are really good. They kept waking me up and making sure I had ice on my knee. Get to Tokyo. We had to fly to Sapporo. Get right on a plane. We got to Sapporo. A cab picked us up. We had to get dressed in the cab and go right into the ring when we got there after 19 hours in the ring. Oh. I mean, in the air. Wow. That's brutal. And my knee was killing me. So we won this match in about 17 minutes. The next night, we get Giant Baba and Dory Funk Jr., who was the NWA champion at the time. And Baba is seven foot tall. We wrestled at 48 minutes, and we won the match. The next night, we have Jumbo Saruta in, in Tenaru. We wrestled him for uh, 59 minutes, and we beat him. My knee is killing me. Wow. The next night, we get Bruiser Brody <laughs> and Stan Hansen. Oh. And they are like icons, heroes in Japan. And we get in the ring and the people, they love us. But all of a sudden, here comes the roar. Here comes Hanson and Brody. And Jim's got his back to them. And I'm looking. And I said, oh, my God, look out. And Jim gets hit with a cowbell and I get hit with a chain. Out of the ring we go. They run us through the people into a wall, hit us with a fire extinguisher. Now, there's no rules in Japan. So we're almost out of the well, out of the where they were the wrestling part, back into the arena, and they're chasing us. And I see this chair on the floor. So Japanese guy jumped up and it tipped over. I grabbed it, and here comes Hanson, and I threw it like a frisbee and hit him right across the bridge of the nose, <laughs> and his nose exploded. And we wrestled them for thirty three minutes, and we thought we had him. Jim did, I forget what he did, but I came off the top rope on Brody with an elbow on the top of his head and it dropped him to his knees. And then I saw Jim get fired out over the top rope and Brody is on his knees. His head is up to about my chest and he bear hugs me with my arms trapped. And I look up and here comes Hanson with the lariat. Oh, that was the last thing I remember. <laughs> How was the knee but, the next day? Oh, it was it was so bad. We had we finished. We had another week, and we met Hanson and Brody in the finals oh. of this tournament, and we ended up winning the tournament. And I got home. I went to the doctor, and they put me right in for surgery. They opened my knee up, and the cartilage fell out in five pieces. Oh. So I wrestled that whole time with torn cartilage. Wow! So just constant pain. But, you know, could barely walk. Probably. Oh, can't even believe it. You can't even believe it. Yeah. I mean, after the match it was so bad. You know, I. I'd ice it all day, you know, just to get into the ring. And we had it, you know, I had it taped up, had a pad on it. But, uh, you know, 
when you get that adrenaline going and you're fighting for your life against Hanson and Brody yeah. and those other guys, you know, you don't think much about it. No. <laughs> Brody, Brody came back here and uh, I, well, I'll tell you the next day from hitting those two guys and reaching up and hitting Brody, our arms were black and blue from the wrist down to our elbows. Wow. I believe it. I mean, they were, it was, it was a very physical match. Anytime you got in there with Brody or Hanson, and we knew that. I know one night we're in Winnipeg, we're wrestling Bobby Duncan and Stan Hansen. And Brunzel, we used to try to get Duncan and Hansen dropkick them just as they came off the ropes because otherwise they got so much momentum, you know, it would almost fire us out of the ring. So Brunzel hits Hansen just as he turns coming off the ropes, knocks him stiff. His legs end up in the ropes, and I can't, can't drag him out <laughs> to cover him, right? Finally, he, he got a tag to Duncan, and Duncan came in, and all of a sudden, he got Hanson back in. And that Hanson, he took me, he sat me up on the turnbuckle, and he threw me with a, what they call a deal throw, and I landed in the other turnbuckle upside down. Oh, oh my gosh. And I, I, and I take Jim, and I said, you're the one that drop kicked him. You go, <laughs> you go handle it. <laughs> it's kind of a killer be killed type of atmosphere for you. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, so, uh, and amazing Stan and, and, and King Kong Brody are two of the original six in the first series of power towns. First series. Was that by yeah. design from the respect you got from them, from them nearly killing you during your career? Well, uh, I wanted Brody in there all along and they wanted, uh, Ted DiBiase in there. We were working with another company and Ted worked for them and he told us he was all through with the WWE. And I said, I still feel better if we had Hanson and Brody. They were so big in Japan mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to sell a ton of ton of their action figures. And each one of these figures it costs a lot of money to make, believe me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had we had DiBiase in there. And as soon as we put them out, WWE said they still have a Legends contract. We couldn't have them. Oh. So, so then we had to turn to Brody. And that set us back almost a month from getting our, our stuff out. Yeah. But... Uh, they had just listened to me the first time we wouldn't have had a problem <laughs> well you are the co-founder that should mean, give you at least half the say right well it did yeah but you know Steve and, and TA had brought this other company in and they had uh, DBIC under contract and we're trying to work a, a deal with them because they wanted to do uh, they didn't have a lot of things we could, that would have helped our talent get uh, income right away mm-hmm. so we wanted to to do something with them, but sort of satisfy them. We let them do the, do the DiBiase doll, but we thank God came around and we got the Brody in there because, uh, you know, it, it, we had sales, like I say, in a big sales out of Japan. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, Australia, England, Vietnam of all places, Saudi Arabia on our opening weekend. So, you know, we did something right. That's great. Um, so series one is Luthez, Vern Gagne, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Magnum TA, and who am I? I'm the sixth one. Carry Von, Von Eric. Yes. Well, when you when you order them, you can order them in bundles. The bundles of three, the association. Yeah. Vern, Hansen, and Brody, or you can get the alliance, which is Luthez, uh, Magnum TA, and Carry Von Eric, or you can get the individuals. 
Uh, you can pre-order them, and they should be out in January. I think as a wrestling fan, you got to get both bundles. I think you got to go all six. That's the only way to do a it. A lot of them, a lot of them are buying all six. Yeah, who's going to yeah. be the next series? Yeah. Can you can you divulge that? Probably not. Hey, no, I can't. We're we're little uh, TA and I have been working on it. Uh, we thought we had it together, and then of course our other partners uh, from the manufacturing end of it. They have their ideas, so uh, I, I think we're pretty close. Okay, can I but give you? Can I, I give you? Wanna, can I, I give you my dream you, set yeah, too? You give me who would you? Yeah, you know what? I would love to hear that. Okay, so I would do three tag teams and three singles. The tag teams would well, be. We the, can only we can only do six figures at a time. Okay, so we'll do one tag team and four wrestlers. How's that sound? Okay, what's your tag team? The British Bulldogs. My singles would be Nick Bockwinkle. Um. Terry Funk? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have Terry. He's oh. still under contract to the uh, WWE. Those devils. I had him. And they, uh, and then, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. that's a, had That is a tough one. I mean, Kurt Henning? Is Kurt Henning under contract? No, nope, can't get Kurt either. No, he's under contract still. Wow. What about LOD? Are LOD under contract to WWE? No, but uh, we, have, we have one. We actually could have two of them, but the second one, his wife has a deal with a licensing company, and uh, it's a lot of money to get him, and then we have to pay uh, the licensing company 15% of sales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that cuts into so the- it cuts, creates- it cuts into cuts into everybody else's, and we can't do that. We're, we're, you know, we're treating everybody the same. Yeah. What about Bruno San Martino? Nope. No. He's got a, a lifelong contract with the WWE. The politics behind choosing the series is amazing. But the, the Bachwin- Midnight Express. Midnight Express. Interesting one, Chris. Midnight, Midnight Express. Express. Midnight Express. No, they have a they have a deal with Jim Cornette. Oh yeah. And I had him and Cornette screwed it all up. Oh. So And Rock and Roll? Rock and Roll Express? I got the Rock and Roll Express. Oh. There you go. Series two. You gotta get them out there. They've never had a wrestling figure. Well, there. I I think. Oh, they got, well, the problem is they got one out now. Oh. Ricky cut one, but so we don't know if we can. We can't do it if he's just coming out with this other one. Yeah, so much goes so into now it. You got two tag teams. Now you only got two. You now you got two tag. Teams. Yeah, yeah. and I got Bachwinkle for sure. Ah. Uh, okay. That, it's it's tough. Because there's so many, like you, you want to, you want to name a guy, but then you're like, well, what, what about this guy? Like you, di- you digress in your head. You're like, there's so many deserving guys out there. Oh, uh, well, from the fifties, you got the crusher and the bruiser and you got mad dog and butcher. Yeah. Uh, you've got Don Leo, Jonathan, Yukon, Eric, Angelo Papo. That's Randy Savage's yeah. dad. Yeah. And we got a uh, hardboiled Haggerty. What about superstar uh, Billy Graham? Is he under contract at WWE? No, he's under the yep, the WWE. Damn it! We they, were after, him and we had a we almost had a deal with them, and they came in and yeah, they he probably leveraged. He had, he had moved. Yeah. Well, he had moved, and his number had changed, and we couldn't find him. And they got to him and gave him some upfront money, and his, that was it. His relationship though with that company is so uh, seasonal that you know you might be able to get get it done yet. So I'm going to leave it as yeah. Rock and Roll Express if you can get Morton to do it and make it happen. The British Bulldogs I, and Nick Bockwinkle. And I trust you guys are the experts. The first six proves it. 
whoever you decide, it's going to be well worth it for wrestling collectors and fans because it's amazing, the series. The quality, the look, the accessories, which has never been done. You can take the jacket off. You can put the belt on. It looks amazing. I can't wait to get mine. I am. I promise you, Greg, I am going to order mine. I thank you so much for making time for us today on the BSHES show. It was, it's a dream okay, come true to have you on. I'm going to try to throw one thing at you. Yeah, By all means. One thing at you. Okay. I'm going to read off some names here, okay? Good. Oh, yes. yes. Gorgeous George, Wahoo McDaniels, Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, Rock and Roll Express, Medusa, Rock and Robin, Liani Kai, Antonio Rocca, Edward Carpentier, Daniel Jonathan, Yukon Eric, Blackwinkle, Harley Race, Jack Briscoe, Pedro Morales, Skylo Low, Little Beaver, The Mighty Atlas, Igor, Putsky, Hercules Cortez, Red Bastine. Okay. I can pick one, two, or three of those. Each you pick three. Okay. I'm going to pick first. Yeah, you go ahead. Bachwinkle, Gorgeous George. You got Harley Race. Harley Race. Yeah. Is, well, I'll give Harley Race to Chris. Um, and I'm going to take one half of the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton. So you better take the other half there, Chris. Yeah, I'll take the other half of the Rock and Roll Express. I'm going to take um, Harley Race, obviously, and Red Bastine. Wow. There you okay. go. There's our six. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. I can't wait for Series 2. I can't wait to get my Series 1, which i got to order first so I get it, get it in January. Thank you so much for making the time for us. I could keep you for hours, but I, you know what? Your time is important, so I appreciate the time you've made for us today. Well, anytime you guys need a guest, I'm here for you, okay? I appreciate that, Greg. Thank you so much. All right. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, all those good fans in Winnipeg, uh, I have a lot of great memories from the great people up there, especially when it was 30 below zero and they're breaking through, through the, the, the arena was sold out and they're breaking windows trying to get in. Were you, were you, a, Ray remember and, that. Were you a Ray and Jerry Steakhouse fan? Oh, we went up to the, yeah, the, um, what was the steakhouse again? Ray and the, Jerry's? Uh, no, not Ray and Jerry's. It was a, uh, God, what was the name of that thing? There, uh, it was something steakhouse. And uh, the kid that ran it was, was from France and his wife. And they were, uh, we used to go there all the time. Oh, yeah. Jim always remembers the name. <laughs> he, he didn't, he didn't, you know. He was waiting for the tag while I was getting the crap beat out of me. So I, I got my memory isn't as good. <laughs> okay, so I want to drop the Rock and Roll Express from my list and put the High Flyers in there. I think they belong on the on Series 2 yeah. as well. Well, you said we belong in the Hall of Fame, and then you didn't put us on. So, you know, I thought, well, this will be the last show I do for him. <laughs> there you go, Greg. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, and have a good day. And so to everybody. Before. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. We're back, and Mike, how about that? Greg Gagne. Amazing experience to talk to Greg and hear his stories. What and, a class act. Yeah, nice guy, and he was really, really reinforcing the point that I hadn't ordered my figures yet. Yeah. So I, after I'm done this podcast, I am going to order my Powertown figures, uh, Series 1, and to share with us who they've got under contract for potentially Series 2. That was great. 
Um, so generous with his time too. Oh yeah. He would, he said he would have won two hours, yep. but I'm glad we kept it, kept it tight, you know? Um, but he, that was, he's a busy guy. Yeah. And our biggest guest to date by, you know, it's, and he's not going to be the last one. I'll tell you that. All right, it's time for the soon-to-be-named mailbag. Soon-to-be-sponsored. Yeah, named and sponsored. Yeah, and it's coming closer than you think, I can tell you that. I can't wait. I can smell that deliciousness. All right. (laughs) Is that a hint? Maybe a a little hint. All right, this one is coming in from Mr. Generous. Oh, hey, boys, here's one for you. Can Mike shed any details about the AEW Harsh Reality Show and why Buff, Luger, and Steiner were held up at the border who was Luger supposed to work with if he had made it over the border? Okay, so first and foremost, it was AWE, not AEW. I have never been Tony Khan's booker. It was harsh reality. And um, so, Mr. Generous. You know who's Mr. Generous, other than Mr. Generous? Super fan Dan. And because we got Greg Gagne, and I think he thinks that we had to pay Greg to be on the show, he sent us money to, to the, the PayPal. PayPal. And I... I if hey Dan, if you want the money back because we did not have to pay Greg, um, I I will send you the money back. But if you want us to keep it, I will spend it. I'm happy with that. Um, so AWE harsh reality. So earlier that that was in December of 2005 for AWE, and it was a pay per view taping and a TV taping, and we had already had Lex Luger in once and Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner was debuting for us. So. As I'm to understand it, they all got on a plane in Atlanta because they all live in Atlanta. And it, Scott kind of took care of his own travel. So, like, I didn't know that Scott was supposed to be on the same plane. Actually, maybe I did because I picked up Scott from the airport that night. He had no problem traveling and, and he had no problem getting through the border. And what a he's a good guy, like a really good guy. You'd be surprised what a good guy he can be. Um, so Scott comes through customs and I said, where are Lex and where are Buff? And he said, they got thrown off the plane. I was like, what? Yeah, they got thrown off the plane. I said, why? And he said, yeah, you know them. They get they get bullshitting and doing their thing. And they they were acting like idiots. And, and they got kicked off bee sheezing. <laughs> and they got kicked off the plane for bee sheezing. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, they, they threw them off the plane. An air marshal or maybe it was an air marshal or whatever. Pilot came out and said, you gotta, you're going to have to fly tomorrow. And uh, I was like, what in this? What has happened here, right? So I take Scott to the air air to his hotel. And I said, do you think they're going to make it? He said, Oh yeah, they'll be good tomorrow. Don't stress. And, um, yeah. So Scott was in town. No problem. Uh, Lex Luger. And well, so the next day buff gets in and, but I get home that night and I get a phone message from both guys separate and one, they blame each other. Oh, and Mark is like, ah, you know, Lex, he was, he was just, uh, I'm sorry. It was all <laughs> Lex's fault. And then I get Lex on the phone. He's like, he, you know, he's like, you know, Mark was just being Mark. And I was just trying to take care of him. And it's all Mark's fault. I don't care whose fault it is. Get on the plane and get here. was all I cared about. So next day, about noon, Bagwell gets in, gets through customs. No problem. Where's Lex? Well, he's on the plane. So our, our people are waiting for Lex to get through customs. We know he's in Winnipeg. He was in Winnipeg. Actually, I ended up, if you Google it, it actually got mainstream media. Yep. That I was at the airport waiting for Lex Luger. I wasn't. I had somebody there and I just kept hearing, no, there's a delay. No, there's a delay. No, there's a delay. And, um, and then I got the word. So that was noon. And I got the word about three thirty or four o'clock. Lex Luger's not getting across. And now normally if I was there, I would, I would talk to the, they had a line. You could talk to somebody and try to plead your case. 
And I probably should have went to the airport to see if there was anything I could do. So at about 4.30, I had a call from Lex and he said, you didn't file the paperwork properly and I'm, they're not letting me in the country. I said, Lex, that's impossible. Scott Steiner, Buff Bagwell, Rick Steiner, everybody has gotten through, no problem, Rikishi, Chuck Palumbo. I said, that's, there's no way I didn't file paperwork properly. I told you exactly what you needed to do. You needed to go to customs. You needed to show them a letter. They're going to look at the letter. They're going to process you and let you through exactly what you did in October, two months ago. And he's like, no, they said it was your fault. And I'm like, Lex, I didn't, there's nothing I have. There's nothing that is my responsibility beyond that letter I gave you to present to customs. I also gave customs your name so that they would know they were processing you. So we, we are like, so I was pretty miffed about it. So then I tried to get a word, like I tried to contact customs and got nowhere. Like they would not tell me what the issue was. Okay. So now I'm fired up, but I had a friend in customs from a previous situation where they let Brian Christopher through and they shouldn't have. And I'll tell that story in another episode. Hey, Dave Cote asked the Brian Christopher story and I'll answer it in my mandatory answers. Anyway, so turns out Lex Luger got extradited, essentially. I, let me choose my words carefully. Lex Luger got accompanied by law enforcement to Minneapolis, arrested when he landed, and he had had a warrant because he had something to do with child support, wasn't paid or something like that. And he actually spent three weeks in jail in Minneapolis through Christmas that year because I don't think he could pay a bond or, or bail. I don't know what happened. That was the last time I actually talked to Lex actually. And Lex was an interesting character. I could do a whole show on dealing yeah. with Lex, but, um, who was he supposed to work? Uh, it was supposed to be Lex and buff against the Steiners. And then it switched and we did a WCW versus WWE type of thing. And it became, uh, Bagwell and the Steiners against, um, Billy Gunn, Chuck Palumbo and Brody Steele. Okay. Um, the initial main event where it was going to be Luger and Buff against the Steiners, I think would have been okay. Um, but it, it was what it was. Scott was the star of the show and we drew pretty good two nights in the middle of the week in December. Tough to do, but we had to keep up with our pay-per-view commitment and TV commitment at the time. That also actually was the last two, two big shows of AWE's existence. Okay. Moving on in the, in the mailbag, we've got two questions from Dave Cote, our favorite. My favorite. Couple of questions for you both. What was it that got you into wrestling and what keeps you interested today? And uh, do you want to start off, Mike, or should I? Uh, You go first. Okay, what got me into professional wrestling? I would have to say probably very similar to a lot of people. Uh, Dad would turn it on. He wasn't a big wrestling fan, but he would turn it on because it was, we had, you know, six channels and it was either, either that or, or some nonsense on Saturday. So we'd watch wrestling and he'd, he'd watch for about 10 minutes and he'd get mad about the heel winning and he'd leave. But I kept watching. And so I, I started watching, um, WWF at the time, of course, local, uh, Tony's local promotion as well would come on after that. And between WCW, eventually when I discovered WCW, it was when they had the ring on the turntable type thing. And for some reason, that really blew my mind. I was like, that's so cool, even though it makes no difference whatsoever to anything. But I just thought it was the coolest. But what what hooked me in was the pageantry and the fact that it was also a sport. So there was there was the acting element and there was also the sports element to it and, and grown men hitting each other, obviously. Vance Nevada and I share the same grandfather on our mother's side. 
And he was a huge, he watched it. Because back in the day, there was three channels, and he was from Surus, Manitoba. So he had three channels, so he watched wrestling. And I got hooked watching it, I guess, with him, maybe. Uh, AWA was my thing, watching Greg Gagne. Talking to Greg Gagne today brings that back. Uh, I was a Hulkamaniac from 83, 84, or 82, 83 on. And it's... I followed it from AWA to WWF to Stampede to UWF when Tony ran Bill Watts' tapes. I never really got into WFWA, unfortunately, because he went, Tony's tapes went um, Bill Watts, then Crockett, then local. Yeah. And it was quite a drop off. So it took me a long time. But then I'll tell you who my hero was, was Chi-Chi Cruz on Tony's tapes in 91 or 92. Yeah. 92 when he became the champion, he beat Jerry Morrow. I got really into WFWA at that point. For a period of time, thanks to Cruz, and natural to a degree. A couple of guys really stood out from that time yeah. period. Jerry Morrow for me, and and Chichi Cruz, and Eric Freeze was one of them that I can remember. Really, the Iceman Eric Freeze, I can remember him. Storm and Jericho stood out, obviously. Yeah, um, and then from there. I got in around 90, Vance got in in 93 and I hounded him every day. Get me in as a ref, get me in, get me in, get me in. And he got me in in 95 as a ref and then as a wrestler. And, you know, I was never a good wrestler. I was a decent enough ref, but I was actually better as a promoter and booker. Um, that was where I had the most success, the most notoriety with whether or not, you know, whatever. But uh, that's what got me in. And that's, that's the story. Okay, and Dave had another question. Do you think the internet wrestling community has made the wrestling experience better or worse? And that's a really tough question because uh, I initially want to say worse, but I also realize there's a lot of positives there. Um, I often wonder what the internet would have done to the wrestling game in the territory era of the 80s. Would it have made it better or worse? Would I think have destroyed it, would, it, I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. It would have it would have made the bookers be a little bit more creative than just using what worked here and retreading ideas. Um, here's what I think. I think the wrestling, the internet wrestling community is a lot like the sports fan community that goes on their, that goes on the comment section of any sports story and speaks like that. Right could do a better job. And I do that. I'm guilty of that with the Winnipeg Jets. I often am critical of the way the general manager runs the team. I'm not like that with the Bombers because it's a well-run organization and I, there's a, they're experts. You can see their expertise on building a winner. And I don't say that because I work for the team. I being around the team, I've seen how everyone seems to know their lane and really has a, a feel for it. I think the internet wrestling community helps wrestling more than it hurts it at this day and age because promoters can do more to promote a show than having to poster or pay for advertising. There's a lot of free avenues to get the word out there for their shows. I think, um, I think if I, I actually think if it hadn't been for the internet, the wrestling business might've actually died or just been a WWE, a one trick pony with WWE. So way more benefits than negatives. Yes. Uh, the over opinionatedness, you just heard me go off on Tony Khan. I've never met the man. But as a booker, as somebody who would have a concept of building to a money match, Tony Khan doesn't have it. And that's been clearly shown a thousand times. Maybe not a thousand times, but a hundred times. This guy has no idea how to get to a... So let me give you an example. WrestleMania, they are thinking about their money main event. That's all they're thinking about right now. Every decision they make is like the road to WrestleMania. Does Tony Khan have any idea like that? 
No, trust me. Nope. We're going to bring Kenny Omega back from a nine month injury and put him in a trios tournament because that's what people probably want is Kenny to be buried in six mans. Well, unless he was still hurt, there's that, absolutely, that's garbage. That's what I think it was. And it, it's really short-sighted. If he's still hurt and they're like, we can protect him. No, let him heal up. He is a star that is bankable. Don't put him in a three-way jerk-off. See, he should have been brought back to do something different than he did when he left, right? Yeah. He should have been brought back to surprise somebody and like maybe a mega face. MJF is off talking and there comes Kenny Omega to take issue with what MJF is saying. Chris Jericho is talking about, and there's Kenny Omega reminding him that they're one, one in their series. Don't build it up, but build up his return based on his first time back in front of the camera. But I tell you that wasn't, that that wasn't Tony Khan. That was those three who have run that company into the ground because Omega must have say over the stuff he does. Yes. Right. I would imagine. So the money match that he pissed away with Christian and the which was never going to be a money match. It was an angle that didn't really make sense to me. There was the time lapse. The, the time frame didn't work for when Christian was in Winnipeg and Omega debuted three years after. Yeah. Oh, Christian was already in WWF when Omega debuted. Okay. Nobody cared. It didn't have anything. Hangman Page versus Omega. Nobody cared. It didn't have anything. John Moxley against anybody on top. Nobody cares. It doesn't have anything. I told you earlier how they could build that, but they don't get it. I don't know where I got off on this. I'm talking about the internet wrestling community. I'm That's me being part of the internet wrestling community. Tony, don't book anymore. Hire a booker and don't make it somebody who's part of that circle of friends. No, get somebody who has done it well at a very high level and give them the book and let them do what they can do. I couldn't agree more, Mike. And do you have any closing remarks yeah, I this do. week? Okay. Have you ever tried edibles? Yes. This is not an advertisement. Well, are we sponsored? Did I not no, know? Did I no, take one no. and not? I forgot. I got ribbed. Remember I told you about Dylan was going to send me out to Emerson last yes. week? This guy is trying to screw with me and he's going to get a receipt. So here's what happens. He tells me, you know what? You should try an edible because you're, you're working too hard. You're tired. It's true. This is going to make you, you, trust me, it's going to relax you. You're going to feel great. So I, I trust him. Okay, yeah. He's like, I'm going to bring you one. And it looked like one of those strawberry candies. Yeah. And it tasted exactly like a strawberry candy. And it was a strawberry candy. It was a strawberry candy, <laughs> but I thought it was like a, I thought it was a healthy dose for a first timer. I've never tried cannabis, never wanted to in my life. I Nothing a but it appeals to me, but peer pressure, not even, I just thought, okay, yeah, I've heard that this could work and edible. So I pop it and it was 40 milligrams. That's a lot for a first timer. Yeah. Uh, My legs stopped working for me. The room spun. I felt sad, but I couldn't stop laughing, but I'm not sad, but I felt sad. And my, I thought my face was deformed. So let this be a one, do not rib Mike Davidson. He's been ribbed enough lately. And two, don't try edibles because somebody could screw with you. I want to get a bowl of those edibles, 40 milligrams, and let someone grab a handful and pop them all. I, I feel like this is a concept for a future show. What? Mike and Chris do edibles and try to do no, the total BC show. I refuse show. it. I'm never doing it. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to tell that story just as a PSA. Don't, if you don't, if you've never tried cannabis, don't start. No need. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Mike Davidson. 
Thank you to Greg Gagne. Yes. Thank you to Powertown Wrestling, powertownwrestling.com. Order your figures. Hey, the price tag on these things is high, but trust me, the value on these things is going to be higher if you put the money down. It's like investing in stock. All right, there you have it. Mike Davidson with the telling you to buy action figures and exercise temperance when it comes to marijuana. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Erics can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I'd like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover, and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?